you would take your Bibles and turn back to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is the most quoted psalm of all the psalms in the New Testament. It is, as I mentioned last week, is the gateway to the psalms. These two psalms together set the tone uh, for the entire collection of inspired word in the 150 psalms that are in our scriptures. These two psalms are connected by the word blessed. You can see it in Psalm 1-1 that we looked at last week, blessed is the man. And then Psalm 2 ends with blessed are all who take refuge in him. It's two psalms that tell us how to be truly happy. You put the word blessed and refuge together, we would say today in our modern vernacular that we would call that our happy place. And where is your happy place? And that's a huge question in our world today. Where do you turn to find your security? What do you trust in to run your life, to give you the true happiness that you're looking for? According to Dr. Jamie Kaluga, who's a PhD, she says, and I quote, your happy place is the calm place in your mind that brings you joy and peacefulness, a place you can escape to be more present in the moment. In fact, she goes on to say that your happy place doesn't even need to be a real place. It can be a perfect cabin on a scenic bluff that sets your mind right. It can be a bench in a nearby garden where you cool your head and settle down. She said, your happy place can be merely an imagined place in your mind. See, for Jamie Kaluga, your happy place is inside of you. It's you. See, but the psalmist is saying, and very clearly, might I add, that where you find your refuge is actually your security. See, it's not something you can imagine. It's not something you can make up. It's not just something for a few moments that you put into your mind and that solves all the problems. No, see, it must be real. It's, in fact, true happiness is not found in a place, the psalmist says. The happiness is found in a person, and that person is King Jesus. And so let me rephrase my question. Not where is your happy place, but who is your happy place? See, whatever rules you is your refuge. Your sovereign is your shelter. In other words, it is absolutely crucial. It is of chief importance to have the right refuge, the right shelter in your life. Because where you find your refuge is where you will find your happiness. I came across an interesting ad on the internet this week, and the ad said at the top in bold letters, World, World's Safest Shelters. It was by a company called Be Safe, and they make storm shelters. Now, I'm going back a ways, but when I was born and in the years to follow, back in the 60s, a lot of that in the 60s, a lot of people were getting shelters, bomb shelters, storm shelters, maybe because it was the Cold War going on, I'm not sure. But uh, my neighbors had one. I remember I had a door. It went right into the side hill of their yard. Um, they had a shelter. And I didn't think much of it at the time. But I read the, the information about the ad on the Internet. And it advertised it this way. We are the safest, strongest, most comfortable, most affordable. We don't mess around with safety. We are the best of the best. We are out to save lives. Now, who wouldn't want that, right? And if you are serious about safety, let us know. 
We are number one in the world. Survival shelters, whether it was tornadoes or hurricanes, but if you're really serious about it, and you think that you know, there's a possibility of nuclear war or something taking place, you need to go to the other site I went to, and it was called Bunker Builders. And it was, the company was named DEFCON. And they build bomb shelters. And I, you should go on there and look at these bomb shelters. They are incredible. You could live in there. I mean, it's incredible. They have room after room. They have, uh, they have refrigerators in there. They have bunks. They have all kinds of, all kinds of amenities. I mean, it's a really, I mean, I'm thinking about it myself. Um, but it's a bomb shelter. And they go from DEFCON 1 to 5. 1 is good. 2 is really, I mean, 3. And you get up to 5. I mean, they have stuff that they said that you could live in there for up to three years. Um, bomb shelters, and, and they advertise nuclear strong. That's what it said. I mean, obviously having the right shelter is important, isn't it? And if that's true when it comes to those types of shelters, isn't it true in your life? I mean, don't you want to have the right shelter? Don't you want to have the right refuge that you're trusting in? to bring you safety and security and happiness in life? Well, the psalmist is clear, very clear. There's two options for who will rule your life. Who will be your king? Because that decision will be where you find your refuge, where you get your happiness from. So let me unpack the two options in this psalm and lay it out for you, all the while, while you're asking yourself this. Who is really the king of my life? So verses 1 through 3, if you'll take a look there, the earthly king, that's option number 1. And this is two, this psalm in verses 1 through 3, the earthly king, and then verses 4 through 6, the heavenly king, really is juxtaposed to one another. It's a contrast. It's between the earthly king and the heavenly. It's two scenes. And the psalmist says, I want you to take a look at what's happening around now in the earth. And then I want, after you look at that, I want you to have this perspective. I want you to see what's happening in heaven at the exact same time. This isn't the only time in Scripture this happens. It happens numerous times throughout the Bible, but especially in the book of Revelation. And what God wants to say is today I want to give you perspective. I want you to see, hey, look around you, and then I want you to look above you. And the psalmist does it this way. Kings of the earth. Now the phrase the earth, verse 2, chapter 2. Rulers of the earth, 2.10. O kings, 2.10. Oh, and it says kings of the earth, 2.8 and 10. And over and over again, here's the rulers, here's the kings, here are the people who think they're in charge on our planet. Poet Robert Browning said this. God is in heaven. All is right in the world. I don't think Robert Browning lived in the 21st century because God is in the heaven, there is no doubt, but all is not right in our world. And the psalmist lets us know that in his day, which definitely is relevant for our day, verse 1 says, why do the nations rage? But notice, the nations rage, the people plot, the kings do it, the rulers do it. See, you know what's happening on earth? And it's happening right now today, and it's obvious if you look around there's a worldwide rebellion going on on the earth against God. And let me tell you this, it's not limited to social class because it says people. It doesn't say certain kinds of people, but all people in general. And it's not limited to government or military personnel because the Bible says it's the leaders, the rulers, the kings, all of them. 
And it's not a couple, it's not limited to a couple rogue, rogue countries that are out of line where most people aren't. No, see, it's all the people, all the rulers, all the countries. This is the United Nations against God. And they're plotting, it says, Verse 2, they're plotting. It's the same word in Psalm 1, meditation. Meditating on, it's, it means to conspire. It means to take counsel together. We saw that in chapter, Psalm 1, 1, 2. They're taking counsel. They're getting together. And here's what the Bible says they're doing. They're plotting war. See, the Bible says in verse 2, they have set themselves. It's a military term. And it means to prepare for battle. And who are they going to battle against? Well, the two word against, it says right there in Scripture, against God and against his anointed. That means king. So they're going to be against God and they're going to be against Jesus. And they actually believe that they can win because they are many kings, many nations, and it's only two of them. All of us against the two of them, so they think. But the question is, listen, for them and for us, why in the world do they want to fight against God? Well, the Bible tells us because they view themselves as prisoners of God. Did you read the text for yourself? The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying this, verse 3, let us burst their bonds apart, cast their cords from us. You see, bonds and cords, those are shackles and chains. Conquering kings placed shackles on their captives. And in the world in which the psalmist writes, and can I say it, in the world in which we live, people don't want to be ruled by God or King Jesus. They see his divine authority as bondage. Instead, they opt for complete and total independence from God. It's a pseudo or fake peace. It's a pseudo or fake freedom, but they want it nevertheless. It's like the crowd that day when they were crucifying Jesus, they said, we'll not have this man rule over us. They don't want Jesus to be in control. They want to become their own sovereign. And in doing so, you'll find they become their own shelter. Lion King, you remember that movie? I think that's been a while now, 20 years plus. In it, Simba the lion has a song. And he sings, I just can't wait to be king. You're already thinking, and you're singing that in your mind, aren't you? Mm -hmm. He says this, Simba and Zazu, the, you know, the little weird bird, um, they're talking back and forth to each other because Simba's anything but ready to be a king. Simba says, I'm going to be a mighty king, so enemies beware. Zazu says, in comedy, well, I'll ne I've never seen a king of beasts with quite so little hair. Simba says, and listen to this, I'm going to be the main event like no king was before. I'm brushing up on looking down. I'm working on my roar. I just can't wait to be king. You see, here's what he defines being king is. Here's what Simba thinks freedom is. Sound familiar? Listen to his words. No one saying do this. No one saying be there. No one's saying stop that. No one's saying here. Free to run all day, free to do it all my way. Oh, I just can't wait to be king. Can you hear it? 
Our world is working on their roar. It's our world today. Daily throwing off God's Torah. Throwing off what the psalmist in Psalm 1 delighted in, the world wants to throw it off. See, God's rules and God's righteousness and God's word to them are bondage, shackles, chains. They can't wait to dethrone God. See, our world says this, I can't wait to be king. See, no one telling me that homosexuality is wrong. No one telling me what the definition of marriage is. No one telling me about rules that define who I am. No one saying that I want to be a woman or I want to be a man. No one saying that a man can't be pregnant in our day, believe it or not. See, they're working on their roar. No one saying that I can't do anything I want to do with my body, including killing an unborn child. See, our world is working on their war. They can't wait to be king because in it, throwing off God's authority and his rules, they think that that's freedom. They think that that's what they're really looking for. But see, it's not just our world at large. It's us, isn't it? Is it you? Oh, see, Pastor Walker, it's not those issues. And you're not, it's not the authority on homosexuality or it's transgender or abortion. See, those aren't the issues for you. But is he king? Is he king of your issues? Is he really the one running your finances? Is he the, really the one calling the shots and how you treat your spouse and how you raise your children? Is he the one that's telling you in your life how you will live it and what's most important and the morality that you live by? See, is he king? Because here's what the Bible says. If you rebel against God and you rebel against his authority and you set yourself against him, it is 2-1, Psalm 2-1, it is in vain. It is empty. It is futile. George MacDonald said this. He's a Scottish writer. The one principle of hell is this. I am my own. I belong to no one but myself. William Ernst Henley in his poem Invictus said this way. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I have come to the realization over many, many years and all the people I've had conversations with, that people aren't generally hostile to the concept of God. They are hostile to the authority of God. See, they are all right with there being a God and you having a God. And, but when you say, when Jesus says, see, you have to love me supremely over father, mother, sister, and brother, they're not okay with that. When Jesus says, I have to be number one in your life, I have to be above everyone and everything else, and you have to take up your cross in order to do it, see, they're not excited about that. When Jesus says, I have to be in control of every dimension in your existence because of who I am. See, Psalm 2.8 says that God promises, I'll give the nations as your inheritance. They will be, look at the term, your possession, In other words, you're the creator, and I'm going to give you, you own them. See, the world by and large is not okay with that. And as God's people, we give an amen to that. But is it true functionally? 
Is it true? Is he king of your, is he really number one? Does he take precedence? Is he supreme in the affections of your heart? See, that's what it means for him to be king. And so the world throws off his rule. And they do it two ways, not one, two. They do it through religion and they do it through rebellion. Both of them are subversive to God. They do it through religion because they think if I can be good enough and I can be righteous and I can be a good person and I have right morality and I follow some of the rules, see, then I can avoid God and he's going to be okay with me because I've got my eyes crossed, I mean, my, my T's crossed and my eyes dot. I've got it all right. And so we use religion and it's subversive because we hold God at a distance thinking that we can be our own refuge and in that is true happiness. And we don't realize that it's fake freedom. But also rebellion, uh, we don't want to have our own refuge. We say we need no refuge, that we're the king, that we can define who we are, that our identity is up to us. And how we live and what we do and what we do with our lives and our body and our time and our money and our existence is totally up to us. Both of those are fake happiness. Is a fish really free when the fisherman's hook raises it out of the confines of the water? Is a train really free when it derails and continues to go down the path of being off the tracks? If you're a teenager this morning, are you really free? Are you free when you rebel against and throw off your parents when they tell you that you can't use your phone, you can't do this on the internet, and you shouldn't be on social media, and you have to be aware of your friends, and who your identity is should be in Jesus. See, are you really free when you get rid of all those constraints in your life? Are we free, really free, when we rebel against the authority of God, and instead of getting married, we live together, and we get drunk, and we get high, and all the external things of the flesh and of the spirit, are we really free, or are we really fooling ourselves? Are we really self-sovereign? Well, that's option one. And the question is, well, how would God respond to all of that? How does God respond when, quote-unquote, someone is threatening his throne? Well, that's verses four and on. And we go now from the earthly king and the earthly scene to the heavenly one. And in contrast, look what's going on on the earth. What are the earthly kings doing? They're raging they're plotting, they're conspiring, they're breaking bands, and they're frantic. And, and, and then you switch automatically to heaven. And here's what it says in verse 4. He who sits in the heaven. See, they're running around, they're plotting, they're scheming, they're preparing for the war. And what's he doing? He's not up and going, oh my, I didn't see that coming. You know, he's fretting. Oh, and the anxiety and fear level in God doesn't go up. He doesn't go to the war room and draw all the heavenly hosts together and say, okay, give me all the intelligence reports. I don't know what we're going to do to stop this. He's not fleeing to a more secure location as if somehow God himself needs a refuge. Psalm 115 puts it this way. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. In other words, He's still on the throne. He's sovereign. And by the way, did you notice what he's doing when he's sitting on the throne? He's laughing. Now that's an uncommon expression of God. But you, O oh Lord, shall laugh at them. 
You shall have all the nations in derision. Psalm 59, 8. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror strikes you, God says, Proverbs 1, 26. Psalm 37, 13. But the Lord laughs at the wicked. Why? For he sees that his day is coming. Can I tell you this? When God laughs, it's not funny. Why would the psalmist show us this heavenly scene? Why would he put these two side by side? What's happening on earth, what's happening in heaven? These kings, his king. Why? Because he wants God's people, including you and I this morning, to be assured of this one thing, that even though there are times in this world and on this earth that it doesn't look like God is in control, he is. When it doesn't look like he is on the throne, he is. He is the true king. He has all the authority, and he is totally in control. Why, Pastor Walker? Why does the psalmist think that's so important? Here's why. Listen, because if God is not in control of all of history, if he's not on the throne, if he's not sovereign over all history and all the events and all the people taking place on this large scale, how in the world could you and I trust him to be king of our life and our history? You've got to know, don't you, sitting here this morning, if I'm going to tell you, you find your happiness in God. You find him as your refuge. He's your happy place. And the best thing and the best way to do it is to obey his word and follow it completely. And for you to believe that, you'd have to think that he's more powerful than they are, that he's wiser than they are, that he has more authority than they do. And here's what the psalmist says. He does. He does. It may not look like it when you look around, and that's why the psalmist says you need to look above. Because in all the frantic chaos in our world, he's sitting on the throne, and he laughs. He laughs. He says, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, on my holy hill. It's the place of coronation. It's where kings in Israel were crowned. And God says, see, it's too late for the kings of the earth because I've already chosen my king. It's Jesus. And I've always already anointed him. He's already the king. Have you been watching Queen Elizabeth's Platinum Jubilee? 70 years on the throne. That's a long time. That's nothing compared to King Jesus. His authority is far ever a million years and it'll just be getting underway and can i tell you this you can't overturn it you can fight it but you can't overturn it because hear me there is no refuge from him there's only refuge in him and you need to find it in king jesus and so here's what the bible says verse 9 here's what the king will do he's going to break them He's going to dash them in pieces. Now contrast that earlier in the psalm where it says they are going to break his shackles. They are going to throw off his authority. And God says, you think you're going to break my chains. I'm going to break you entirely down. Kings in the ancient Near East would do this when they would win a victory. They would take pottery and they would put the name of the nation and the name of the king that they had conquered on the pottery, and sitting on their throne, they would take their, sev- their, their scepter and smash it. You know why? It was symbolic 
that they had already won the victory. You know what King Jesus has said? Listen, he is going to dash like potter in pieces. See, his, their name is on it, and he sits on his throne. He doesn't even get up. He just takes the scepter, scepter and he smashes it. You know why? He wants you to know that the victory has already been won. If the battle hasn't been fought, it doesn't, fought, it doesn't matter because he's already the winner. And that's why, listen to me, verse 10 gives this royal warning. See, now therefore, knowing this, put the two scenes together. It may look like this, but reality is this. He says, be wise, O king. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. That's a nice way of saying, don't start a war you can't win. You should listen to that, you and I, this morning, shouldn't we? Think about the consequences of your choices, young people. Think about the choices of where you find your happiness, where you find your refuge. You say, Pastor Walker, I see it. I see that Jesus is the true king. He's the true refuge. He's the true source of happiness. How would I make him king in my life? And if I did, what would it look like? Verse 11 says this, Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. If you want to have peace with King Jesus, if you want to know true happiness, if you want to find your happy place, your refuge in him, there's only one term of of peace and that is unconditional surrender. Absolute submission What would that look like, Pastor Walker? Well, he tells you in the three verbs, serve him, rejoice in him, kiss him, and watch what it says. Do it with fear and do it with trembling. In Chronicles of Narnia, Lucy was interested in meeting Aslan, who in the book stood for King Jesus. And the beavers, the husband and wife beavers, they were telling Lucy about him, and she was describing, and she was getting a little afraid of the way they described him and how ferocious and big he was and his claws and he was a lion. See, this is the real roar. And Lucy, a little bit afraid, says, is he good? And the beavers say back, oh, he is good, but he's not safe. See, here's what the Bible says. He's king. You can rejoice in him. You can find your happiness in him. Serve him. Worship him. Make him supreme in the affections of your heart. Give him all that he is due. Obey him and do it in reverence and fear and trembling because he is good. He's a good king, but he's not safe. He's not safe. You see, when you serve him and you and you rejoice in him, and you kiss him. Kiss is what you did when you give homage, when you lose the battle and the king over you. See, you go up and you kiss the king's feet. Why? Because you're humbling yourself and saying, you have authority over all of me. So what does it look like when Jesus would be your king? It would look like this. It would be you, love, you treat him, you, you are devoted to him supremely because you obey him completely. So when he says you forgive, you forgive people. You don't hold grudges. You don't become bitter. You don't keep replaying the tapes. You forgive. And if you don't do what God says, he's not your king. He's become your consultant. And and being a consultant means you think that when God's word tells you something about your life, that he's given you recommendations. He's not giving recommendations. He's giving requirements, see. 
But we say in our hearts, don't we? Oh, you know what? I'll obey. I'll obey Jesus. I'll obey you. You're my king if, if it feels good, if it's practical, if it's popular, if it won't make me too unpopular with others, if it's pragmatic. See, that's not obeying Jesus at all. Jesus isn't your king. He's your consultant. Because you're deciding who you sleep with. You're deciding who you forgive. You're deciding who you really like and will be kind to. So he says, serve the Lord. Fear him. Rejoice with trembling. It's not enough just to do the externals. See, when King Jesus is king of your life, it's not that you just serve him and rejoice in him and kiss him. You do it because the inside has been changed. The fear and the trembling, and you love him, and you reverence him, and you know exactly who he is, and you want your whole life, inside and out, to be given to him completely. Martin Luther's, my favorite hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It says... Our shelter, he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. That's why we need him, isn't it? That's why he's our shelter. We live in a world filled with prevailing mortal ills. How can we find happiness? Only when you find Jesus as your refuge and your shelter because he's your king. Is he yours? Let's close in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to say goodbye after we sing our closing hymn to the Kinashitas. And I'm going to have them come forward during that last song, and the deacons can be ready for that. But before we do, with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, Would there be some of you this morning who would say, Pastor Walker, I want to say Jesus is king. I I put my faith and trust in him, but I don't know if it really looks like it by the way I live. See, the big issues of culture, they're not my issues, but mine are different, and I'm struggling and grappling with them just as much. And I find myself, more than I like to admit, throwing off his rule. I, I look at it as bondage sometimes. I, I don't want him to tell me which movie I can watch and how I should dress and the clothes I should wear and how the attitude of my heart should be and how I should respond and the words I should use. See, I, I don't really want him to tell me that. But I like to have him as my happy place. I want him to have, be my storm, a storm shelter. But every day, live for him as king, that's different. That's not me, not the way it should be. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to call your name, but if your head bowed, eyes closed, say, Pastor Walker, as a believer, here's my hand, pray for me. I, I need to allow Jesus to be king of every part of my life. Pray for me. Would you just raise your hand and put it up and back down, and I'll pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Your hands on my left and my right. In the balcony, anyone else in my right? Thank you. Something in my life. Thank you, balcony. King in my, not, not just some of it. Kiss the king. I need to kiss the king this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, no, Pastor Walker, 
I'm not a believer. And to be honest, I've been working on my roar because I don't want him to tell me what to do in my morality, in my life, in any of those areas. I want to be the one who decides. May I encourage you this morning, consider the consequences of your choice. It's in vain to fight it. Would you surrender today unequivocally, completely, unconditionally? Would you recognize that Jesus died on the cross? He took the punishment for, that is the punishment of a rebel. He wasn't, but he did it. He took your punishment. He took your sin. He died and rose again so that you could be free, true freedom, true happiness, true refuge in him. Say, Pastor Walker, listen, with a head bowed, I, I don't know him, but I need him. I really realize that true feed, freedom this morning, it's in him. It's in putting my faith in him, repenting of my sins and putting my trust in him that he might be the king, the ruler of my life, my Lord, my God, my Savior. If that's the desire of your heart as the Spirit of God works in you, say, Pastor Walker, I need King Jesus in my life and I'm ready to surrender. I don't know what that means, but I'm ready by the grace of God. Would you just raise your hand and I'll pray for you as well as we close today. Anyone like that all over the auditorium? Anyone? Just slip it up real quickly and put it back down. Anyone? Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? King of my life, the song says, Master, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. Oh, Lord, for those who raise their hands today, saved or unsaved, they both need to be led to Calvary. That's where it all starts, and that's where it all ends. That king is the one we honor today, Jesus, the crucified one. May he be truly Lord of all of our lives today, and we'll thank you for that rich blessing in Christ's name. Amen.